We're here for part two of Praying Men of the Bible. And we're walking through the Old Testament, doing an Old Testament overview. So we'll just jump right in in this section two. I want to remind us of our scripture verses that are kind of anchoring us for these two parts. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. And then James 5.16, the second part of that verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Our central truth for these lessons is the Old Testament history is filled with the accounts of praying saints. Israel's leaders are known for their habits of prayer and prayer is the one thing that stands out prominently in their lives. I also want to remind you of that quote by E.M. Bounds if you're just joining us. He says, the Holy Spirit will give to the praying saint the brightness of an immortal hope, the music of a deathless song. In his baptism and communion with the heart, he will give sweeter and more enlarged visions of heaven until the taste for other things will pall and other visions will grow dim and distant. He will put notes of other worlds in human hearts until all earth's music is discord and songless. Lord, would you cause us to pursue you in prayer in such a way that everything else pales in comparison? We truly desire that. And so in this section, we're going to look at the lives of three men in the Old Testament. We're going to look at Jonah, David, King David, and Solomon, also King Solomon, David's son. And we're going to see how prayer was a prominent part of their lives Uh, When we look at Jonah, uh, first of all, I want to refer you to Pastor Corey's series on Jonah. Um, He did like a four-part or five-part series on Jonah that was fantastic. And those are also found in the archives. But I would point you to that for a more in-depth study on the life of Jonah. But tonight we're going to look at Jonah and uh, how prayer was a prominent part of his life. Number one, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. Um, and you would think, well, he's a prophet of the Lord. He should have prayer as a part of his life. That's, that's probably a good thing. Yes, it is. But we find Jonah running from God. <laughs> he's called to go and talk to a people about the message of God's deliverance, if they'll repent. And he runs and says, no, I don't want to do that. He goes the opposite direction. So he's a fugitive on the run from God's call, even though he's a prophet of the Lord. But there's something in Jonah's prayer that's somewhat of a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I want to read Jonah's prayer to you in its entirety. It's found in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and then it goes through chapter 2 verse 10. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now remember for context for those of you who are new to the Old Testament, uh, Jonah was fleeing Nineveh and heading to Tarshish. And he's like, I'm out of here. I'm not going to talk to those people. Um, They don't deserve it. And uh, I don't want to be the one that you're sending. So he gets in a uh, storm. It's a terrible uh, storm for days. And finally he convinces the people that he's on the boat. And he says, throw me overboard. It's my fault. I'm, I'm to blame. I'm guilty. And they're like, no. I mean, they were trying to be nice to this guy. They're like, we can't throw you overboard. Let's throw all the cargo overboard. Let's throw everything else we can. He's like, no, I'm telling you, your ship will be safe if you'll just toss me over. So they finally uh, toss him over. And it says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now you might say, well, I would be praying the same way probably if I was swallowed by a large fish. But I love that Jonah repented in the fish. He was there three days and three nights. Can you imagine being in the internal workings of a large fish? And I don't want to get involved in the, was it a whale? Did God create a sea creature that was a one-off? You know, I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't really matter. We just know it's a big fish and that Jonah was inside. It was large enough for a man to be inside for three days and three nights without dying. But I noticed that his prayer shows us his repentant heart. And he wasn't just sorry that he was eaten by a fish. He was sorry that he wasn't following through with the Lord's command. And the Lord will take us through many things in life. Again, not to give us things, but to change our heart, as we saw in the last lesson. Because he desires for us to be made in his image. He desires for us to be a people of obedience a people of trust. And Jonah in that belly of the fish trusted the Lord and realized I must do what he sent me to do because I belong to him. He's mine. When my life was ebbing away, verse seven, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So prayer made the difference in Jonah's life. It brought about repentance. It brought about change of character, now, he had some other stuff to deal with. And can I just say, when we pray one good prayer in our life, that we're still going to have some things to deal with, and we're still going to have some character flaws and issues to work through, but the Lord is faithful to work with us all the way through till the end. But I want to point out that three days and three nights is a foreshadowing, a picture of Jesus being in the earth three days and three nights, delivering the captive, setting the captives free uh, once he had given his life on the cross. And I love the fact that that would even connect in Scripture, that God would use a rebellious prophet to point forward to the King of kings and Lord of lords who will deliver all, who's willing to go to anyone at any time, anywhere to share the good news about his birth, sinless life, death on the cross, burial, 
resurrection from the dead, and ascension into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. What a beautiful thing when we see that picture in Jonah and we see his prayer life growing in the midst of difficulty. We also look at King David. With David, prayer was a daily habit. In Psalm 55, 16 to 19, it was a evening, morning, and noon affair for him. It was not a once in a while or when I feel like it. He was a disciplined young man and the Lord used that discipline to turn it into delight to where he looked forward to his times in the Lord's presence. Listen to Psalm 55, 16 to verse 19. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. David knew who to call upon and he did that regularly. He made it a habit of his life because we know that the scripture also says that David was a man after God's own heart. And can I just encourage you, the only way that you and I can be men or women after God's own heart is if we spend so much time with him as if nothing else compares. And we realize the jewel or the treasure we have in our relationship with the Father through Jesus. That's where truth really comes to life. And that's where understanding and revelation take root in our hearts. It's from knowing Him. But we only know Him by spending time with Him. You only know your spouse by spending time with them. You only know your children by spending time with them. Um, I, I don't want to be too personal, but I took some time off last week and the Lord orchestrated where I had special one-on-one time with each of the people in my family, with my wife, with my oldest son, with my oldest daughter, with my youngest daughter and my youngest son. And I tell you what, it made me want more time like that with them. And that's how we're wired, um, especially with our time with the Lord. The more time we spend with him, the more time we want to spend with him the more time we want to get to know him. So those, those things play out even in our natural families sometimes. But David understood the importance of evening, morning, and noon praying. That's why we hear in the New Testament to pray without ceasing. It's an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Now, David also made prayer not just in a disciplined way that turned to delight, but he prayed when life and death were at stake. We see uh, in David's sin with Bathsheba and he had her husband Uriah killed on the front lines of battle and Nathan the prophet came and confronted David in 2 Samuel 12, 13 to 23. And you can read that on your own. It's the first few verses of chapter 12, but I want to focus on verse 13 because then David said to Nathan, after he'd been confronted, I have sinned against the Lord. His first response, which can I tell you to not be surprised if your first response or those you must confront in sin's first response is, no, I didn't. Don't be surprised. I'm talking good, Christian, Bible-believing, God-loving people. 
Most of the time, their first response is going to be, no, that's not me. I did not do that. When they're as guilty as the look on their face, it's because we have this desire to protect ourselves. So we'll lie. We'll boldface lie to protect ourselves. But I love David's response. And I believe this response came because he had spent time in the Lord's presence and he knew he could not hide. And so his first response was, no, that wasn't me. That was not his first response. It was, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, we can spend time in other ways and other places. He could have easily said, I've sinned against Bathsheba. I've sinned against Uriah. I've sinned against the nation of Israel. But no, he sinned against the Lord because he had been in the Lord's presence so much that he knew what he did was breaking God's heart. And yes, he did sin against those other people. But the priority and the main person that he sinned against was God. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you through Bathsheba will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights laying in sackcloth on the ground. That's not, not any good sleep there. Just trust me. The elders of the household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. David knew the character of his father. I love that. Perhaps the Lord will be gracious because I know he's a gracious and loving God. But now that he is dead, the child, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David knew he would see that child again in eternity. So prayer was a daily habit for David. Prayer was made when life and death were at stake. And prayer was also made by David when sin was uncovered. We see this in Psalm 51. And I know it's a lot of scripture, but church, can I just tell you, sometimes we need a lot of scripture. So I'm, I'm going to read this to us tonight. It says plainly for the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the blood, guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper, Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings, Offered whole, then bulls will be offered on your altar. David knew how to repent. He repented well. He repented thoroughly. And that's one thing we need to learn to do. Because even though we are saved, even though we are blood-bought Christians, even though we are going to heaven, even though the Spirit of God lives in us, we still must repent. And I truly believe we see so many Things happening around our nation, spiritual awakening, revival. Uh, we hear the stories at Asbury and other colleges and in the Generation Z, uh, how the Lord is moving and touching lives. I firmly believe that repentance is the doorway to revival. We must start there. We must say, Lord, I am in trouble without you and I need you to step in. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Help me to see the error of my ways, so that I will never walk that way again. And then I will pursue you fully and wholly all the days of my life. So David made a daily habit of praying. He prayed when life and death were at stake. And he prayed when his sin was uncovered. And I think those are some prominent places in scripture that we need to take note of. Finally, the last man tonight in the Old Testament we're looking at is Solomon. Solomon sought God from the very beginning of his reign as king. And then he made a prayer to dedicate the temple. The Lord allowed him to build the temple that his father David wanted to build. But because David was a man of war, uh, that was saved for Solomon's time and reign over Israel. But it says in 1 Kings 3, Verses 4 to 15, the king, speaking of Solomon, went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine being given? It's, it's almost like a genie. I'll give you three wishes, you know. It, that would be kind of what we would run to in our thinking 
modern day thinking. But Solomon had this chance. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Talk about humility and childlike faith. If we could all capture that and grasp that. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to great govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth or yourself, the Smith Revised says, or for three more wishes, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Wow. Moreover, I love this part. God does, and another thing, I love this. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. Wow. From the very beginning, Solomon understood that he must call out to God and he must talk with God in prayer. He also dedicated the temple to the Lord. I won't take time to read that because it's rather lengthy, but 1 Kings 8 verses 22 to 52 is a beautiful prayer of Solomon's dedication of the temple. And I love the fact that he built the temple first before he built his own palace. I love that. So check that out in your scripture and read those verses. But I want to jump to the Christian life lessons as we close tonight, this section two. And I hope you've enjoyed this foundational walk through the Old Testament because we're kind of getting a feel of what the next eight sessions are going to be like when we do a deep dive and drill down into individuals' lives, men of the Old Testament in prayer. But the first Christian life lesson, prayer goes hand in hand with sacrifice. Um, we need to be willing to give up whatever we need to give up because God always has something better. It may not be bigger. It may not be prettier. It may, it may not even be more expensive but it will always be better than what we could have gotten on our own. We must be willing to sacrifice. And the best sacrifice we can give is our lives. Jesus, I lay my life down in complete and total submission to you. When Jonah decided to submit, when David decided to submit, when Solomon decided to submit, look at the reward, look at the open door into their lives. Number two, prayer is the simplest of all arts and the mightiest of all forces. Um, can I just tell you there's no science to this prayer thing? Um, if you're looking for a formula, um, you're going to be discouraged. 
Because about the time you learn this formula over here, God's going to switch something up on you. And it's just to prove that there's no formula. It's a relationship. It's an art. It's an ebb and a flow. It's a give and a take. It's whatever God wants to do in that moment. And you surrendering and submitting to what he wants to accomplish in your life and seeing his purposes fulfilled in the earth in that point of time in history. So prayer is the simplest of all arts, but the mightiest of all forces. I love that. Prayer requires childlike faith. I think too many times we get too big for our britches and we pray for things that we really don't understand when we really could just come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I see. This is what I'm up against. And this is how I'm feeling. Can you show me the best way? Can you show me your way? Can you give me peace? Can you give me insight and wisdom and understanding so that I'm not confused? Would you allow me to have clarity so that I can walk in a way that pleases you and it doesn't blow people away, but it brings people in and it builds your kingdom and it builds your family and love grows and peace grows. Prayer requires childlike faith. And number four, prayer is truly the foundation of everything worth building. Um, We have a phrase at our house that we say constantly because we homeschool um, and it's this, we do hard things. Um, A lot of times, you know, we want to just do the easiest thing possible to get it done. But when we when we are committed to excellence and when we are committed to doing the right thing, that means that sometimes we have to choose to do hard things because sometimes the right thing is hard to do. But the Lord will always give us the strength. And if you think about it, prayer is truly the foundation of everything worth building. If you want to build a ministry, you pray. If you want to build disciples, you pray. If you want to build your knowledge of the Lord and his kingdom, you pray. Pray, Praying brings the foundation together and cements it in such a way that God is priority and he's put first. And it's not our slap together foundation, something that we came up with. And we try to put eternal truths on top of our junk because it's just going to crush and fall under the weight of God's glory and of God's blessing. So remember that prayer is the foundation of everything worth building.